Welcome back to the Shit You Don't Learn in School podcast. This is Calvin Rosser, and at least half of my voice is back for this episode. And this is Steph Smith. My voice has never left. So a lot of people think that the world is getting worse, or at least they say that. But today we're going to go through a quick quiz and maybe talk about how that's just completely not true. Steph, I want to kick this off. I just picked up a book. It's actually been on my shelf for a while. It's called Factfulness by Hans Rosling. And it really is just a book about how the world is getting better and all of the ways in which we think it's getting worse and why we're wrong about that. And I think I'm only 25% through the book. It's super interesting and inspiring so far. But the way he kicks off the book is a quiz that tests our knowledge about the world. And there's 13 questions. So I wanted to just maybe go through some of the quiz today and then talk about some of the things that might just come from that. Yeah. Ever since you mentioned factfulness, I think you actually brought up the book on a previous episode. I Googled it and I went through the quiz myself, but I'd love to go through it again. So if you're listening to this, grab a pen and paper or write on your phone your answers because it'll be fun to check in at the end. So the quiz itself is 13 questions. We won't go through all of them, but I would encourage you to go back to, I think you can just Google factfulness quiz and there's a couple different websites that offer it and go through it yourself to see how many you get on all 13. So just diving in the first one in all low income countries across the world today, how many girls finish primary school? 20%, 40% or 60%. I think I would probably say 40%. 20% seems pretty low, but it did say low income countries. So I'm going to go with 40% on this one. Okay. Where does the majority of the world population live? Low income countries, middle income countries or high income countries? That's interesting. My gut tells me middle income countries, it's either low or middle, because one of the interesting phenomena that I've read about before is just how right now you have so many people in low and middle income countries. And as the world does progressively get better, you're going to see a lot of those kind of evolve into the following step. So I'm going to say middle income countries for today. Uh, question number three, in the last 20 years, the proportion of the world population living in extreme poverty has almost doubled remained more or less the same or almost halved? Those are pretty extreme options that doubled or halved. I feel like a lot of people might say it has doubled because we hear about all the things that have gone wrong around the world, but I think it's probably one of the other two. I'm going to say that maybe it stayed the same. To have it be halved seems pretty extreme. Question four, what is the life expectancy of the world today? 50 years, 60 years, 70 years? I think... 70 years. I think it's 80 years for people living in specific countries, but probably that averages out at 70 for across the world. Awesome. Next question. How did the number of deaths per year from natural disasters change over time the last 100 years? It more than doubled, remained the same, or decreased to less than half? My guess based on global warming, but I don't know if this is accurate or not, is that it's increased. So I'm going to say it's doubled, but I wonder if that's correct. I guess we'll see soon. Next question. How many of the world's one-year-old children today have been vaccinated against some disease? 20%, 50%, or 80%? I feel like it's either 50 or 80% because it is such a prerequisite in so many places. I'm going to say 80% for this. We have two more questions. So the next one. Worldwide, 30-year-old men have spent 10 years in school on average. How many years have women of the same age spent in school? Nine years, six years, or three years? I'm going to go with six years for this one. All right. Final question. How many people in the world have some access to electricity? 20%, 50%, or 80%? I'm going to go with 80 for this one. Actually, that's a lot of people. 
I guess it's per capita and there's 7 billion people in the world of which billions do live in certain countries that don't have great access or the same level of access. So I'm still going to go with 80, but I think it, I'm not sure between 80 and 50. Okay. Ready to see how you did? Yep. So let's just go through the first one and let's just talk about uh, why some of these things may be happening. So when I had researched this before, there's a reason that the author, or I think it's authors in this case, added this quiz at the very beginning of the book, because before actually diving into what the reality of the world looks like today, many people get a lot of these wrong. And you probably think, okay, maybe people get 50% wrong. No, of the 13, I think people got two to three of them correct, which means that a strong majority got the rest of the quiz wrong. So let's just start with that premise before we even go into the results. Yeah. The really interesting thing is, so if each of these questions has three answers, so if you just gave the quiz to a monkey and you asked them to choose an answer, you would expect that they would get a 33% on the quiz, but actually people get worse than 33%. They're getting two or three answers, correct? So they're not doing even as well as you would do if you were to just randomly pick answers, which is super interesting. And I think they've even given this quiz to what people would expect to be really knowledgeable, really worldly people, like people who have won the Nobel Prize. And even when they did that, they still saw, I think, the same results. Yeah. The scary thing is they've given this quiz to like global leaders who have access to all of the real data and are making decisions at the UN and other places and still people get things wildly wrong. So let's just go through some of the answers. The first one, in all low-income countries across the world today, how many girls finish primary school? 20, 40, or 60%. Steph, you said 40%. That is actually wrong. It is 60%. <laughs> All right. Next one. Where does the majority of the world population live? Low-income countries, middle-income countries, high-income countries? You got this right. It's actually middle-income countries. I think most people think it's low-income countries because you think poverty is increasing or it's at least affecting lots and lots of people. But if you look at the trend over the years, we've actually had a dramatic decrease in poverty. And one stat that I thought was pretty stunning was just 20 years ago, 29% of the world population lived in extreme poverty. Now that number is 9%. And so extreme poverty is living usually on uh, less than $2 per day. And so this is actually just a remarkable feat for human progress. But we don't really talk about this. We talk about rising income inequality, and we think that uh, the world is actually getting less fair and poorer. But so many people in the last 20 years have improved the quality of their life. And by the way, something that I find interesting about this idea of things becoming less fair, things can become less fair, but the whole world can be advancing, if that makes sense. So you could have the whole collection of people living on this earth advancing such that everyone's better off, but still have increasing income inequality. Yeah, this is actually a conversation I dove into pretty deep the other night with someone, which was he was explaining that the world is really bad in different ways. And I had just been reading this book. So I'm like, ooh. I like this topic and was explaining rising wealth inequality. And as you said, what's really fascinating is that, first of all, anyone born in the U.S. is not in any form of poverty as it relates to a comparative set globally. And even as income inequality has increased, like the quality of life for most people has increased dramatically. And so no one would rather live 100 years ago than today if they were really thinking about the data and the experience of day-to-day -day life. One of the things the author introduces later in the book is this idea that people get uncomfortable when you say that the world is improving and that we've progressed dramatically because they think that means that you're denying that there are still problems. But really, the right frame is the world is getting better in so many ways and we're making tremendous progress. And that's awesome, even though we don't see it in day to day life. But you can then still say there are still many serious problems that we need to go solve. 
And so saying that the average life expectancy is increasing or saying that average quality of life is increasing for people does not mean that there aren't people still living in bad circumstances that we should try to change. And so I want to go into uh, the next question, which is in the last 20 years, the proportion of the world population living in extreme poverty has almost doubled, remained more or less the same or almost halved. You said remained more or less the same. It's actually almost halved. People living in extreme poverty, that's going down and it's going down at a pretty impressive rate. And this also means that things like the child mortality rates are going down as well. There's actually not one country in the last few decades where child mortality has increased. And this is, it's related to poverty, but it's also related to things like basic healthcare. And that's a really interesting metric because children are the most vulnerable and feeble uh, population. So child mortality is like a good pulse on how society overall is doing. And so the fact that there's not even one country where this rate has increased just gives you a sense of the overall kind of trend of where we're moving, despite there still being problems that we need to solve. Totally agree. Let's do the next question. What is the life expectancy of the world today? You said 70 years and the choices were 50, 60, 70. And that is correct. Do you know what that used to be? Like, how has that trended over time? Yeah. So in 1800, it was 31 years. And then in World War II time, it was actually just like 35 years. There's a big dip during the war because young men died early. And it just keeps going up. It's a steady curve that's going up. Even in around 1970, it was around 60. And so today it's at 72 years. And that's just an average. One of the things that the author does dive into is there's obviously differences in different populations, but it's pretty much increasing in every place. One interesting uh, fact that he brought up was there are no countries where life expectancy is below 50 years today. And every single country in the world has improved their life expectancy over the last 200 years. Wow. That's pretty incredible. All right. Just a couple more questions in our quiz. So how did the number of deaths per year from natural disasters change over the last hundred years? You said it more than doubled. The other <laughs> answers were remain the same or decreased to less than half. It actually decreased to less than half. That's interesting. I wonder what constitutes a natural disaster, but that's a really interesting data point. Yeah. I think one of the things that may lead us to think that things have gotten worse is just all of the stuff about climate change or all of the things that the media puts in your face about nasty tornadoes or storms or just everything that kind of captures our attention. It's more in front of our face, but fewer people are dying from that. And that's just something to keep in mind. Like you can still say that climate change is a really big issue. It's an existential threat to humanity, but don't start to then believe things that aren't true about the world. And that's why I love this book is it just breaks down how you can have an optimistic view about progress and also an idea of the areas where we still need to make progress, but you're not living in this kind of diluted negative world where everything is getting worse and you're scared. And that's actually what's happening. Like people are more scared than ever and thinking that things are just getting worse and that's just bad for them. And it's bad for society as well. And it's also inaccurate. One thing that jumps out to me is that you can think that there's areas to improve on, but if you have an inaccurate view of the world, like an inaccurate view of the spots that need improvement, then you're going to focus in areas that are less effective. You're going to think that some issues are bigger than they actually are. And then you're probably going to ignore some issues that are important by focusing too much on things that seem scary, but aren't actually scary. Definitely. One of the things he talks about, which I thought was an awesome frame, was there's essentially four income levels. And so level one is people live on one to two dollars a day. Level two is two to eight dollars a day. Three is eight to thirty two dollars a day. And then level four is thirty two plus dollars a day. Almost all of countries are moving closer to level four. And I think most are in the level two, three zone right now and more moving towards level three. 
What's interesting is if you were born in the US, you are in a level four country. So all of your experiences are shaped by being in this level four, we make more than $32 a day zone. And what happens is your perception of these other three levels, the one to $32 is just heavily biased by the media. And you actually don't see the differences between uh, these different levels. And what's fascinating is level one is hell. You're carrying uh, buckets of water on your head. You don't have access to basic things uh, like refrigeration. You don't have, you can't even buy like a bicycle to help you. But then once you get to level three, you actually have things like refrigeration. You can afford a motorbike. You can send your kids to school. And so we bucket things in binary ways. There's like the developed world and the developing world. And we think of the developing world as like all of this extreme poverty, but there's actually some really big differences between levels one to three that lead to dramatically different pieces of quality of life. But when you're where we were born, you see things in a really binary way that actually is a very inaccurate view of uh, the world and even like how poverty exists through different countries. It reminds me of this infographic that I saw actually around an hour ago, and it is an infographic that says the share of the population that says they have no one to count on. So it's an interesting metric that I've never really thought about. But if you look at the U.S., it says 8% of people in Iceland, which I think from what I can tell is the lowest. It was 3%. Then there's places in Africa that are like 43%. I can see one country here where 43% of people feel like they have no one to count on. In other parts of the world, it's in the teens or 20 percentile. But just it's important to remember that depending on where you live, things with a filter based on the borders that directly surround you or the countries that you're familiar with. And it's important to just remember that perspective of what else exists in the world. What's fascinating is I was at this dinner the other night and I was with I was with a couple who was very credentialed. They I think between them had four Harvard degrees. One was a doctor. The other worked in nonprofits, actually like thinking about how to improve the world. Our conversation began with the idea, should billionaires exist? And they existed on the zone of no billionaires shouldn't exist as an absolute thing. And we dove into the nuances of that. But one of the things that came up was I was like, hey, look, like the I started talking about some of these ideas about how quality of life is improving and life expectancy. And they mentioned something like in in some two block radius in Chicago, the life expectancy is 40 years, which at first was like very jarring. But then I started to think about it and I'm like, I don't think that this even makes sense. Like I just read that there's not even a country in the world where life expectancy is below 50. They later looked it up and it was 60. But they what they did was they took a really small area where life expectancy in a country like the US was really low and used that as like their frame of how the world was existing. And not only was it inaccurate by 20 years, which is massive, but it just like if you take this frame of just looking at the negative things in the world, you're going to miss the trend line. And if you miss the trend line, then you just walk around with, as you mentioned, an inaccurate view of the world and also a lot more negativity and concern and are probably seeing a lot more conflict than actually exist. Yeah, it's cherry picking. You could cherry pick the other end, right? You could find one neighborhood somewhere in the world that has a ridiculously high life expectancy and say the world is perfect. But approaching things from that lens, like you said, it misses the trend line. It misses the key narrative, which is important because you can always find data points that tell a different narrative, but may not be more so of an objective truth. Exactly. And what's really concerning to me about that is these are people who are like actually trying to change the world and some of the most thoughtful people that I've met. And they almost had this just fear driven perspective on the world. And I think that can lead you to lose hope and to not actually do as much good as you can because you're not seeing things clearly. So let's go through the last two questions. I know you got to go soon. Uh, Worldwide, 30 year old men have spent 10 years in school on average. How many years have women of the same age spent in school? There was nine years, six years and three years. You said six years. It's actually nine years. 
That's pretty cool. As someone who really cares about gender equality, that's actually really reassuring. Where you hope it's 10 years, so it's the same between men and women, but nine years is actually surprisingly close. Yeah, that was cool to see. The last question here is how many people in the world have some access to electricity, 20%, 50%, or 80%? You said C, 80%, which is correct. I think a lot of people get this one wrong too, just assuming that, again, when people are in low-income countries, or as we call it, developing countries, you get an inaccurate frame of what people actually have access to. And there's certainly still a lot of people who need access to electricity, which it's hard to imagine that in the US per se, a lot of people at least have that in some capacity. Totally. I think about the places I've traveled and I've never actually been somewhere. And of course, I haven't traveled everywhere. And certain parts of a country that I've traveled to are certainly not representative of even the entire country. But I've actually never been somewhere where it was difficult to get electricity. And I've been to over 50 countries. So my experience does support that data point as well. Awesome. So we're going to have to wrap it up soon. Hopefully this was fun. I definitely recommend this book. I'm still making my way through it, but the next step in the book is diving into like, why do we hold these misperceptions and how do they form? He talks about things like we see the world in binary ways. We see rich and poor, and it's actually not that at all. It's shades of gray. We have a negativity instinct. So we gravitate towards the negative instead of seeing what is abundantly positive all around us. And There's a lot more to it. It's actually making me really optimistic and excited. And this is something I've always felt really passionate about when I hear, it's almost always the old saying, oh, the times used to be better. But then there's also the idealistic young who think everything is just going to shit and we're in a worse place than we've ever been. And it's crazy to me because we're actually in a better place across nearly every dimension than we've ever been. And this is just more of a data-driven way to see that. So I think if you want to affect change in the world, it's at least worth developing a more accurate view of the world. And you can still be passionate about certain problems because we have a lot of shit to solve. But reading something like this is maybe a five-hour investment that can change your life. Completely agree. And I think you were spot on earlier in this podcast when you said, I think a lot of people, and of course it has to do partially with them seeing negative news, but I also think people like to fixate on what's negative because they feel like if they don't focus on that, it's it's almost like doing a disservice to the issues that already exist. But I think those can exist in tandem, right? You can be super excited and proud and optimistic about what we've done and what's to come and also recognize what still needs to be done. But I think having such a negative view of the world is not only inaccurate, but it's also not helpful because, as I said, having an accurate view of what problems actually exist is essential for you to actually determine where energy should be invested. I'll leave this with an idea that I love that he shared, which is a lot of people who, when they hear us talking about the world and the way we are, they say, oh, you're just like an optimist. You're not paying attention to what's wrong. But actually, what he calls for is for us to be possibilist, which means that we recognize the good things that are happening in the world, but we also resist the overdramatic worldview where things are always getting worse. And through being informed possibilists, we can actually affect better change. And I just really love that because it's easy to just be like, oh, you're just optimistic or you're just privileged or whatever someone may say about that. But at the end of the day, I think it's just, we're all trying to develop a better worldview and our education and society and just even our instincts actually Uh, make us get it wrong, even if we're incredibly well-educated and thoughtful. Completely agree. And just one final reminder is, again, I feel like people cherry-pick data. So they will find data that supports the narrative of things going to shit. But just remember, you can easily cherry-pick data the other way. And I'm not saying that should be done either, but just remember that it's important to get a holistic view of the things that are happening, how things are advancing, and also take a long time scale, right? So don't compare things today versus yesterday because not much will change between that time period. There's going to be a lot of noise in the short term, but look at these long-term trends and see how they're changing. It's like watching a ticker of a stock every day. It moves up and down and it would drive you crazy. But if you look at the S&P 500 over 100 years, there's a nice little trend line up into the right. 
Yes, exactly. And I'm not saying that there's not wars and stuff out there today, but just remember during a couple generations ago, they went through several world wars. And today we live some pretty great lives. And of course there's issues in the world. So let's not discount that, but just remember to keep some perspective. Battle deaths per 100,000 people went from 201 in 1942 to one in 2016. They virtually don't exist anymore. Crazy. All right. Well, I got a jet. I think this is a great episode. I'd love to do more of this kind of stuff where we really dig in, have some fun with things like a quiz. And if you enjoyed it, let us know. And you can find us at Steph Smith IO on Twitter for me and at Calvin underscore Rosser on Twitter for me. Until next time. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.